Rates and Barrels is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. It's also time to start buying Christmas gifts, whether you need college football bowl game tickets for a big trip around New Year's, NBA, NHL seats, GameTime has you covered. GameTime also has theater tickets, even for Hamilton. Yeah, that's right, Hamilton. Plus, it's an easy two-tap checkout system, which is a lot easier than heading to the crowded stores on Black Friday. Stay home and eat all of those Thanksgiving leftovers and get your Christmas shopping done early without leaving the house this year with GameTime. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 55. This is a special installment of the show this week because it's part of the Athletics All-Decade Team Series. A look back at the last 10 years, 2010 to 2019. Hard to believe a whole decade is coming to a close here at the end of the year. So we're going to talk about our selections for the Fantasy Baseball All-Decade Team. Some show-related news, of course. We are now available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere that you want to listen to this podcast in addition to the Athletic app. If you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review the podcast, please take the time to do that. It helps other people find it, so we greatly appreciate that. And if you listen to this show for the first time or you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. So, we are going to put together a team of 14 hitters and 9 pitchers. Eno has done some heavy lifting already, getting some of the multi-year player earn values going back through most of this decade, and that serves as a really good baseline for these selections. Uh, one little twist on the traditional positions, we're not putting two catchers in this lineup. We are putting one catcher in this lineup. And having <laughs> two hard enough to find one. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason to have two. We are, we are making that change. Right now, it's our team, so you know we can do whatever we want with it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this because this is kind of a, a trip down memory lane for some of the best seasons we've seen over the last decade as well, aside from looking at some of the players who have returned the most value during that span. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, fittingly, they were not going to do uh, two catchers because the difference between the first catcher and the second catcher on this list is probably the biggest uh at least relatively uh to the position than any other position because you've got buster posey as the obvious uh guy uh, and he's got 125 dollars worth of value from the fangrass auction calculator going back to 2013 and second place is yadi molina with 90 uh and jto Riamuto hasn't had the benefit of having the longest career yet uh but he was third with 79 so you know they're all they're all good catchers, and you know it's kind of funny to think of Posey as the best fantasy catcher, considering where he as he is in his um, in his career, like in where he is in his fantasy career. Like he's he's not going to be played very often next year. He's not going to be drafted very often next year. No, he's kind of a second catcher based on the early ADP, but his five year peak during this decade, I would say it was twenty twelve to twenty sixteen. He had five of the 10 
best catcher seasons in terms of war during that span. Uh, some 20 home run plus seasons, some years where he hit like 336 in 2012. So he was an asset really in four categories. Yadier Molina had two of the top four seasons. Jonathan Lucroy actually had the second best season for a catcher back in 2014. But yeah, Posey kind of the, the slam dunk option as the catcher. If there were two, Yachty would be that guy, but there aren't two. It's just Buster Posey. But let's move over to first base because I think this is where things get interesting and they're interesting really throughout. Paul Goldschmidt, far and away, was the most valuable first baseman of the past decade. I didn't expect that to be the case. I thought Miguel Cabrera would actually be a lot closer to Goldie, but Cabrera came in, I think, like eighth of the calculations you made. Now, some of those earlier decade seasons from Cabrera were among his peak seasons, so that would probably bring him up closer on the list, but it wouldn't have been enough to close the gap on Goldie. Yeah, I mean, Miguel Cabrera showed up with 90 uh, auction dollars, and Paul Goldschmidt is there's only there's only one two hundred dollar batter in our sample. I guess you you can probably guess who that is. And Goldschmidt is the the other one that's the closest to two hundred with one hundred and ninety seven dollars worth of value. I think a lot of those stolen bases in those seasons were big. Um, and I do think that probably uh, you know you give Miguel Cabrera those three seasons from 2010 to 2012 when he averaged around 40 homers and like a 335 average and you get Miguel Cabrera uh, probably into second place, you know, right there with Freddie Freeman at about $150. But it is interesting to think that like just having something that you do a little bit differently than the crowd, in this case, Goldschmidt's stolen bases is enough to separate you from Freddie Freeman, Edwin Encarnacion, Anthony Rizzo types. Um, and the Rizzo stole bases. Yeah, I guess he just didn't really have that same combination of batting average and home runs and stolen bases that put Goldschmidt over the top. Yeah, when you look back at the earlier part of the decade, you still had some peak seasons from Albert Pujols mixed in there too. How about a 42 homer, 14 steal season from Pujols where oh, he hit 312 back in 2010? Oh, so nasty! I mean, just the beginning of his career in St. Louis was something that you know really opened my eyes in terms of possibilities with great plate discipline, great contact, great power, uh, and just doing it right as soon as he hit, hit the major leagues, just just kept going. Uh, I really enjoy those seasons. But, you know, with Goldschmidt and Buster Posey, you kind of have two guys uh, that are atop their positions that don't really act like the rest of their position. You know, Buster Posey had great batting average. And you might say, oh, well, catchers don't play as much. Well, Buster Posey actually played first base, you know, and DH'd in the, in the times when he wasn't catching a lot. So he actually had, you know, 600, 620 plate appearance type seasons without that great batting average. But his best asset was batting average. And Goldschmidt, you know, got a lot of his points with the stolen bases. So, you know, I think that um, it's a bit of an argument for being positionless with your value search is just be like, hey, you know, these guys do things in great, great ways. Don't worry so much about the shape of the production. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a, a case to be made for that. And there's a couple of guys that we'll talk about uh, over the course of this show who have changed positions, too. So even placing them gets a little bit tricky uh, when you think about where they might play now versus where they played the most or where they played the best defensively at some point uh, over the past 10 years. 
Let's move to second base, though. Jose Altuve, kind of a, a runaway winner at the position. I mean, you tracked it as $181 earned since 2013, which just blows away the field. Now, similar to what we were just talking about with Miguel Cabrera, if you start taking the early decade performances of Robinson Cano, that gap closes. But even peak Robinson Cano didn't offer stolen bases, and that would always be the thing that kind of separates Altuve from Cano in my mind. Yeah, and then, well, you, it's funny because Altuve had about $180 of value. And, um, and you know, he could have had more value still because we didn't get his 2012 season where he stole 33 bases and hit 290. Um, so there's some separation that happens there too. But uh, one thing I love about Altuve is just that, you know, D. Gordon cracks the top six. So second base is a tough position. And D. Gordon cracked the top six with the $60 worth of value, which he probably accrued, you know, in two or three seasons. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, but it, Altuve is like D. Gordon, but good. <laughs> I mean, D. Gordon who can do other stuff. Yeah. I mean, just the, his late season sort of, uh, you know, power turn, I think, uh, just belies the fact that he's a great hitter, uh, who had lots of different ways to be good, tons of contact tons of speed um and now he's adding value in a totally different way but uh just uh you know that's the one thing i think when you're searching for speed you're searching for a jose atuba you're searching for a guy who's actually good and has speed and isn't just speed first because you know a guy like malik smith we talked about this before can lose his job at any moment the floor is zero you know um whereas a guy like jose atuba the floor is Okay, so maybe he hits only 290 with 20 homers and, and five stolen bases next year. I mean, that's certainly a possible outcome for him next year. It'll still be pretty good. When you look at stolen base leaders from the past decade, D. Gordon was first. He stole 330 bases from 2010 to 2019. Rajai Davis was second. Billy Hamilton was third. Elvis Andrews was fourth. Jose Altuve was fifth. And Altuve has at least... 40 points of batting average, I think, on everybody in that group and more on some of those guys. And then he's got power. He's got double, right. triple, or even quadruple the power, if not more than than that for guys like Hamilton and Gordon. So that's I mean, that's a huge part of why, of course, he's there. And, and being on some very good Astros teams, that also took an excellent player and propped up the counting stats even further. Right. But yeah, just to illustrate the point, two out of those five uh, lost their full-time roles, you know? Uh, you know, you 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 want to go searching for stolen bases. You don't want to end up with Billy Hamilton. <laughs> El Tuve had more home runs than Gordon Davis and Hamilton combined. In the there you go. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Way to sum up his value, man. He's been so good and just uh, just amazing too. Like you know, he hit in his first four seasons combined. He hit. Uh, let's see here, fourteen, nineteen, uh, twenty-one homers. He hit thirty-one homers last year. I just didn't see that coming from El Tuve at the beginning of his career. I just saw him as like a 10-homer, 40-steal guy as, as yeah. sort of like the the peak years, and that extra power has been a very pleasant surprise. You know, Brian Dozier being high on that list is just kind of a funny reminder of, of how quickly things can fall off at second base. I mean, he had a nice run. Like, his five-year peak was full of 100-run seasons, got up to 42 homers at his absolute height in 2016, got to 34 in 2017. What a season. Yeah, 
double-digit steals in six consecutive years. And for a long time, it was, well, he has power, and he has speed, and he scores runs, but he doesn't hit for average. He even had a couple seasons, 268 and 271 in 2016 and 2017, where he was a true five-category player. Yeah. Yeah, now he's returned. Returned. You know, you can sometimes you look at players, you just see the bell curve, you know? He came into this league hitting 230 with 20 homer power, and he's going to leave the league like that. <laughs> he kind of became the the J.R. Smith of the uh, Nationals 2019 World Series team as well. Just you know, always shirtless, and that's just kind of his main contribution. <laughs> I was wondering to the where you were going team. with that. <laughs> I can't think yeah, of any other okay. way in which All those right. two guys are similar, but uh, <laughs> yeah. they both have an aversion to wearing shirts. <laughs> oh my god! All right, all right. No, nope, you. You pulled it off. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. Let's go to the shortstop spot, though, where Manny Machado uh, checks in as the highest earning player. And this is one where if we want to put him at third base, then he might not be a starter. So uh, what led you to decide that Machado maybe belongs in the shortstop bucket? I think it was the fact that we're not running major league teams. We're running fantasy league teams. And anytime you have the opportunity to play someone in a more difficult position, you do. You know? So that reflects probably where Machado was used a lot, you know, as shortstop, because mm-hmm. you could. You know, there were a lot of seasons where he played just enough shortstop and but wasn't really a shortstop anymore um, that people took advantage of and put him in shortstop. Um, you know, and as much as, you know, right now is a great time for shortstops, you still see position scarcity show up in this a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, at the top of the first base, uh, the first base crew, you've got three, five guys who have a hundred, uh, hundred points, um, in the, in the decade, a hundred dollars worth of value this decade. At the top shortstop, if you take Manny off, you only have Lindor with a hundred. Yeah, that's that's the list that really thins out. I think a lot of times it's because you know younger, more athletic players who have defensive ability that has developed a lot faster than their ability as a hitter is what drives teams to play players at that spot. And you know, a player like Francisco Lindor ends up being an exception, like a guy that exceeds expectations development-wise in that facet is definitely an outlier. So I think it's it, it makes sense to put Machado at that shortstop spot because there is more depth at third base. It's something we would all do if we were, were building a roster and could you know, leverage the times he's been eligible at that spot uh, to our benefit. Uh, staying on the left side of the infield, though, Nolan Arenado has been a monster. I mean, Coors mm-hmm. helps, but it, it's fun to kind of think about what his career might be in a neutral environment. I think even if he had played just in a very typical place, middle-of-the-road offensive environment, he'd still have a shot of being at the top of this list. It'd be very close compared to Josh Donaldson and and Anthony Rendon. But I do think Arenado's core skills are good enough for him to have a claim to the spot, even if he hadn't played in Colorado to this point. Yeah, I think he would look a lot, his career would look a little bit more like the number two third baseman if he hadn't played in, in Coors. Uh, Josh Donaldson is the number two third baseman. He doesn't uh, he doesn't usually have the nice batting averages as Nolan Arenado. And if you look at our Arenado's away splits, the power is legit. You know he's averaged around twenty homers a- away from Coors uh, for five years now. So that part is real. But the he has more of a two sixty type average uh, away from home. He's still a really good hitter. So it's not an all just a Coors thing. 
but the difference between a 260 hitter who hits 35 homers a year and Nolan Arenado is the difference between Nolan Arenado and Josh Donaldson. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. A, a bulk of this production came in five years as opposed to seven from Arenado. He's averaging 40 home runs a year over the last five years. I mean, that's yeah. just absurd. And that doesn't even mention defense, which you know we don't care about for fantasy purposes, but uh, obviously one of the best players of the decade all around. That translates just fine. Put him in any park that's going to play exactly the same on the infield. Uh, Josh Donaldson does actually have the most valuable season from a third baseman this decade. He had that year in 2015 with Toronto, 297 average, 41 homers, 122 runs, and 123 RBIs. I mean, those are Coors-esque counting stats in part because that Jays offense was just loaded that year. My God, that is beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> it really Six is. stolen bases with no caught stealings, too. Just a little, a little spice. A little something he's, extra. He's. I think people don't understand how much of an athlete he is. You know, there's a lot of sort of looking at his uh, – the way he talks about hitting and and power and all that, and there's a lot of, lot of sort of you know he made himself into this or something, but he's a real athlete, and it, I'm seeing it sort of slow down a little bit now. And the last time, a couple of times I've seen him, the thing that stood out to me is that I feel like he he's not as athletic as he used to be in terms of his movements, uh, but uh, at his peak, he was he was quite an athlete with great hitting acumen to to boot. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. Uh, as far as a corner selection goes, this one's really tough. I, I think you could make the case for Freddie Freeman. You could make the case for a lot of the other guys we talked about in the first base group. Edwin Encarnacion, really good accumulator, and at his peak, had that excellent plate discipline, too. He belongs in this conversation just based on what he's earned over the past decade. But when you do start to add in the early 2010s years from Miguel Cabrera, I think he edges out Freddie Freeman for the corner infield spot. Yeah, I mean, we do have those those three seasons with nearly 120 homers to account for that aren't in our sample. So I I, I feel uh, pretty like you know just guesstimating that kind of a hitter in today's game would still be worth you know 25 to 30 bucks a season. So oh, yeah, yeah, especially with the average in the 328 or 344 yeah. range. I mean, he hit 344 in 2011, which is so just if you, bananas. If you add ninety ninety dollars uh, to the ninety, he'd have a you know 180, and he'd be right behind Paul Goldschmidt. So that's maybe pushing it, but um, you know, and it's just I'm sorry that the auction calculator doesn't <laughs> uh, go all the way back to 2010. Uh, we couldn't we couldn't find. Uh, values for those but i think that uh pushing miguel cabrera into the starting corner infield spot feels right well the good news is when we do this for the 2020 to 2029 all decade team we'll probably will have dollar values that go back through the entire decade so uh, i'm looking forward to that you know 10 years from now we can get that episode in the books but uh, let's slide over to that middle infield spot this is all still a little bit tricky because with that drop-off from El Tuve to Dozier, with the big drop-off at shortstop behind Machado, there's not necessarily an obvious player there. You could go Cano if you wanted to because, again, those early 2010 seasons were really special. Or you could kind of go more future-looking and get the guy that does everything. And my inclination is to do that and to put Francisco Lindor in that middle infield spot. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, that feels appropriate. I mean, one of the things I, I wrote about once was that the seasons are arbitrary endpoints. And it was kind of a lark. And, you know, I understand that there's a long off season and that, therefore there's a, that's a good demarker to use seasons. And so 
that's the way we work. And I understand all that. <laughs> but when you do this kind of exercise, you do realize that, that some of the things that we kind of cling to calling things decades, that's kind of almost irrelevant. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, these, these players have these different careers that go in and out and it doesn't, you know, it, the decade, it doesn't matter where, you know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm getting across right. It's like, we're seeing that like some guys are starting their careers in the middle of a decade and they're the ones that end up on these, on these lists because they, they played the most in the decade. Uh, but what happens if Lindor is great at the end of this decade and the beginning of next decade and is not, is not on either decades best of list, you know? Right. It's almost like you have to do the exercise every three to five years and take that snapshot over you know, whatever, seven or 10 years, whatever you decide that is that kind of captures everybody for a, a long enough window of time yeah yeah i think so let's move on to the outfield because the outfield's obviously loaded full of players including the fantasy mvp of the past decade it came out a little closer than i expected once i saw the final numbers that you put together i mean mike trout obviously the best player we've seen over the last 10 years inner circle hall of famer already we've probably run out of ways to describe how good he is. And most of this decade, I feel like we've spent time talking about how he's not appreciated enough or that he's even somehow kind of undervalued relative to like what he's been able to accomplish to this point in his career. The only knock against him, which isn't even a knock against him, it's more of an achievement of someone else, is that the absolute best season in the outfield, not from a fantasy perspective, but from a real value perspective of this decade, actually came from Mookie Betts in 2018. But Mike Trout owns four of the five best seasons this decade among all outfielders. Yeah, right. And when you when you buy him in the first round, you're buying that floor. You're not necessarily saying that, you know, when you when you pay the most for Mike Trout, you're not necessarily saying I think that Mike Trout is going to have the best uh fantasy value this year. You're saying he's definitely not going to be the worst. You know, you're definitely not going to be even out of the top 10. I'm buying that four out of five ness uh that quality than than uh, as much as i'm buying the ceiling so yeah right trot has great ceiling great floor and that's how you get to the number one dollar value in our sample 240 dollars of fantasy value uh in this decade and he didn't even you know play the whole decade yeah and, and even the stuff that's just before we were able to track it was still excellent 2012 was his second best war season one of the two times he's been worth more than 10 wins above replacement absolutely uh, amazing what he has done to this point so he was the easiest lock of all locks for putting this sort of team together uh, from there there's a lot of interesting cases that can be made and i think one of the guys that popped up a little higher than i expected uh, was charlie blackman and uh, it's more because if you remember back to when charlie blackman was a prospect he wasn't anything that was considered like a can't miss sort of guy he was more of a, a top 100 filler prospect. I mean, he was a second rounder back in 2008. But I don't think anyone at that point in time looked at Charlie Blackman and would have said, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be on an all-decade team, fantasy, real. You know, that, that wasn't really going to be part of the conversation back at the time that Charlie Blackman was breaking into the league. Yeah, I mean, he was supposed to have a hit tool and, you know, we'll, we'll see what else happens. You know, and uh, yeah, I've talked to him plenty of times about did he ever see himself hitting 37 homers? And he's like, oh, God, no. You know, <laughs> I could I could saw myself like he he's very honest. Like he'll be like, I saw myself hitting, you know, 290, 300 in, this, in the big leagues, but I never 
Never thought I would hit 37 homers. But he just sort of, uh, he, he's, he's one of these hitters that's very cognizant of his spray patterns. And uh, like, like Joey Votto, um, he attempts to have them look a certain way. He attempts to sort of hit the ball in a certain direction. And by doing that, the, everything comes together. So, uh, I think, uh, you know, he's also way more intellectual about his hitting than people give him credit for. Um, and I think he's done a really good job getting the most out of his skill set. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's, he's, this is a guy who's supposed to hit 280 and hit 15 homers a year. Uh, and he's, he's turned that on its head. So yeah, Blackman was, uh, you know, once you look at the numbers, you're like, oh yeah, he deserved to be here. 43 stolen bases in 2015. Uh, 37 homers and 14 stolen bases and 27, that was 2017, 43 stolen bases in 2015. Anyway, great career. And, you know, then you get Mookie Betts, who you, I think you'd expect to be there. And JD Martinez and Nelson Cruz as, you know, the DHs that last played in the outfield. Um, you know, it's an old man group, but of course it's going to be in some ways because we're talking about the entire decade. Yeah. I, I mean, JD and, and Cruz definitely belong on there. And I think Cruz can pretty easily bump into a UT spot to make room for one more uh, younger player on the list. I mean, Christian Yelich belongs in this conversation. I know it's a really top-heavy production over the last two years, but he was a good player in Miami. It was just a matter of him kind of getting into a more hitter-friendly environment uh, and, and unlocking even more power than I think even some of his biggest fans at the time would have expected. I mean, I, I didn't see him becoming an MVP-caliber player, but... It seems strange to put together a group of your five best outfielders for the last 10 years and to have Christian Yelich fall just short. I think there's a couple other guys that have a case, though, to be made, and one of those is Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, he's been a very good player for a long time, five-category guy, maybe because he's had a longer window of of top-end production. Maybe he could bump Yelich from that last spot, but I think it's definitely worth bringing up. Yeah, and his 2010, 11, and 12 have the shapes of maybe $25 season. So we might be undervaluing his production by 60, 70 bucks. Um, you know, if we, if we add that to him, he becomes, you know, the second or third best outfielder of the decade. I mean, those, those seasons were good. He hit two, like about 280 and averaged about 20 homers and 30 stolen bases a year for those three years. Um, you know, one of them being 2012, where he hit 327 with 20 stolen bases and 31 homers. That was, that was a good year. So, yeah, I, I, I think McCutcheon goes up there. I also think it was really interesting to see that in their careers to date, Harper and Yelich have basically had the same amount of fantasy value. Yeah, that that was a pretty big amazing? surprise for me too. I, Harper. It's it's never been his fault. We probably talked about it at some point in the last year already, but he is always going to be judged based on the expectations that were put on him when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a teenager, and now more recently the three hundred and thirty million dollar contract. Like those two things, forever will skew the judgment of what he actually is because what he was expected to be was basically the LeBron James of baseball, and mm-hmm. he's not quite that. But like Mike Trout is that guy, but. Bryce Harper's not, and he he can't be. He probably never will be. Well, you know, I just I wonder, I wonder sometimes what could have been with Bryce Harper, 
and that sounds bad because he's he's right there in our fantasy all decade team. But there's like if you Frankenstein his seasons together, there's a season where he hits 330 with 42 homers and 21 stolen bases. You know, yeah, that exists. That I actually just quoted numbers from a two year span, 2015 and 2016. If you just smush those two seasons together, you'd have one of the better fantasy seasons of all time uh but he hasn't done it that way <laughs> you know? and so he's kind of settled in as like a low average not quite mike cameron low but like you know not too far from mike cameron <laughs> which is a weird weird way to say it and of course that's fantasy only in, in real baseball and obp leagues you know uh that that patience really pays off for him but uh you know a 240 season with 30 homers and 15 stolen bases is is I'm now going to look at Mike Cameron because I said that I don't want to be an idiot and be like oh Mike Cameron never did that but I think you might be surprised at some of the great seasons Mike Cameron had 239 with 25 homers and 31 steals was yeah a little more speed heavy game than Harper I mean Harper's got a few yeah. 30 home run seasons tacked on since that 42 home run year back in 2015 so i'm actually talking kind of like late career cameron like padres mike cameron when he hit 270 20 homers and 20 stolen bases so here's the question though like this exercise like if you think about it bryce harper's under contract through the next time we do this assuming you know we're still doing a podcast 10 years from now but and Bryce Harper will still he'll still be a Philly in flames. Right. We haven't just been <laughs> roasted, but like he'll still have time left on his deal with the Phillies when the next decade ends. He's not going to run throughout the time that he's there. I mean, he's got 15 steals in 2019 in 18 attempts. He's going to run for a little while. He's got the OVP, has the big power. Is there any shot that if we're talking about the five best outfielders of the next decade that Bryce Harper is even in that conversation 10 years from now? That'd be amazing. 27 I, I doubt it but maybe he could do the kind of old man thing Miguel Cabrera kind of situation where he puts up another you know Miguel Barrera even in our sample like put up in just starting in 2013 put up 90 dollars of, of of auction value so you know if Harper did that again next next 10 years uh he'd be just outside the top 10 if the outfield shook out the same way you know, Justin yeah. Upton right now is like the top is the tenth best outfielder with like a hundred hundred dollars of auction value. So that's not impossible. It's wild. So he's not really on the team, though he's definitely in the conversation right now. Like I'd put Andrew McCutcheon on instead of Bryce Harper. It's very close. Yeah, probably. Justin Upton's probably not being getting a fair uh fair shake in this. I'm gonna look at his numbers. I'm sure that he has a couple good seasons early on. Um, yeah. Does everything too. Two eighty nine, thirty one homers, and twenty one stolen bases in twenty eleven for Upton. So you know Upton could be a little bit fi- higher up too. But I think he'd ultimately still off the list. You know he's one of those uh, players that's been good and so, uh, often underrated. And so if we bring if we brought in Price to this discussion, Upton may actually you know, make it to make it on this list because I feel like he's so boring that people just don't buy him. You know, they don't put him on their teams, but it's been really steady production. 
Yeah, at this point, I mean, I wonder if he still has anything left in the tank because injuries, the knee was a big problem for him in 2019, but the cost has never been lower. Like, if you want to take a, a 2020 flyer on Justin Upton, you're not going to have to spend much to do it. Like, his ADP has been about 10 NFBC drafts so far. Justin Upton's ADP is going to be well outside the top 100. I'll get a number on that here in just a second. He, I don't think he got drafted in our in our uh, pitcher list mock. Or if he did, it was the very end. If he did, yeah, it was the last. I think I think Sporer may have got him near the end, but 239 is his early NFBC ADP. He's right there next to Ryan Braun in, in the old and outfielders me, club. noted idiot, took Harrison Bader, and that's exactly why people don't take Justin Upton and miss out. Because I'm thinking, well, I really like Harrison Bader's barrels. You know, I think... You know, next year he could, he, there's an outside chance he could put it all together and have power and speed and do maybe what Justin Upton did when he was younger. Um, and I'm willing to take that shot. I'd rather take that shot, that upside shot on my bench. And so I'm not saying that I'm a total idiot, but I could have had, uh, you know, what's projected to be 240 batting average, 30 homers and five stolen bases from Justin Upton. And he's pretty likely to hit that projection. I mean, he's so projectable. You know, he's just done the same thing over and over again. Um, so, you know, Justin Upton. And I actually, I think it brings up an interesting thing, which is that, um, you know, we couldn't uh, we couldn't put ADP in this and get a true sort of value uh, to price ratio kind of thing going on. So we, so we could get a sense of like, for example, last year, Rafael Devers, uh, was worth $33. And he had to be probably the number one fantasy player or fantasy, like player for fantasy purposes, given what his price was likely, you know? Uh, Devers was probably, you know, a single digit guy in most auctions and a late round flyer. And, you know, there he is, uh, worth $33 at the end of the year in the top 10 or top five, I think. So uh, that would have been nice to do, but ultimately impossible. But it also tells you something about like, you know, I've been drafting Raphael Devers for years in AL Labors, it feels like. And I got a minus 12 season for my efforts and a $3 season for my efforts. And then this year I didn't get him and he got the $33 one. So, <laughs> um, you know, there's a weird thing where, you know, and then Acuna was number one overall. So you don't want to not jump at, youth just because you're like oh i could get the rafael devers minus 12 season uh because you might also get acuna's 39 dollar season uh but there is this sort of tension between jumping at youth and getting someone early in their career and doing it quickly uh versus overpaying for you know the hot young rookie that everyone wants by the way ronald acuna season last season 41 homers 37 steals it reminded me a lot of matt kemp's 2011 I also forgot Matt Kemp hit 324 that year. He had 39 homers and 40 steals, so they both narrowly <laughs> missed 40-40 seasons. But Matt Kemp's 2011 has to go down as one of the amazing fantasy seasons of the last decade that has actually been forgotten by a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think, you know, that might have been a situation too where he might not have cost that much that year. I mean, he's coming off an okay season with a 249 average and 28 homers and 19 stolen bases in 2010. But with that low of batting average, I think he was probably, you know, not, uh, you know, a top two round pick the next year, you know? 
Um, you know, I, I can't, I was writing then. I can't remember. I know that I probably faded Matt Kemp because I would have said, look at that. Um, you know, he only had good batting averages when he had huge BABIPs and he shouldn't have a huge BABIP again. Well, there he goes, 2011, 380 BABIP, 324 average. Uh, then I learned that, you know, if you can spray it around and hit it hard, um, you know, you can, you can run BABIPs that high. So, you know, we've all we've all learned a little over this decade. Yeah, man, BAPIP was so important 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> now it uh it is just kind of a little extra thing to look at that might tip you off to something in one direction uh, or the other. Uh one trivia question before we move on to the pitchers. There were three players who hit 300 plus home runs over the past decade. Who were they? Three players that have three had three hundred plus home runs in the past decade. Yep. Uh, Nelson Cruz. Yep, he had the most, three forty six. Um, Mike Trout. Narrow miss. He was fifth at two eighty five. Oh. We'll give you three strikes. Got one strike. Uh, Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera's no. He's eighth, two sixty eight. Shoot. Where well, got two strikes? He knows in trouble. Edwin Encarnacion. Yep, three thirty-five. He was second. All right, one more for the win. Oh no, I'm nervous. nervous. This guy has the highest WAR of the three. If that helps in some way, it does uh, a little bit. Is it Josh Donaldson? It is not. It uh, oh. is John Carlos Stanton. Oh. St- Stanton, you idiot. <laughs> uh, of course, it's Stanton. Stan's projected for 52 home runs by Steamer next year. I love that fact. He's pretty affordable uh, this year, yeah. too. I think we may have said it a few episodes ago. The years in which his price dips are the years to buy. I, it, I think I had him, let me see, 2017. It, it's the empty ring box on my desk. Uh, in the FSTA League, he was like a third or fourth rounder that year, and he was a monster. So I'm definitely in on Stanton. For 2020 at the uh, reduced price. Let's move on to the pitching staff. And for the sake of this team, again, we're going to shoot for six starters and three relievers. We'll obviously talk about some guys that are right on the cusp, and you could certainly argue them on retroactively if you really wanted to. He's at Eno Saris on Twitter. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Uh, two pretty clear cut guys that are on here as aces, right? Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer. And I think at the top, we were talking about players that may have been close to earning as much as Mike Trout going back to 2013. Surprisingly, it was those two guys, not hitters. It was Kershaw and Scherzer who were the closest to Trout in seven-year earned values. It's amazing to me that I, I kind of figured that pitchers would look in some like hitters, you know, that there would be some at the top and then, you know, it'd be fairly deep because, you know, where you have nine, you have five different positions you need to get out of the hitting pool. You only have two you need to get out of the pitching pool. So I thought it would be fairly deep, but you've got Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer as $200 players, just like uh, Mike Trout as the, as the other $200 player. So you've got the excellence at the top, but, by the time you get down to round 15, you're including guys like John Lester, Kyle Hendricks, and Carlos Carrasco, who would not really fit on most of the positional leaderboards in terms of their auction value. So to me, 
like pitching really is like, you know, the reason why we faded is because there's so few guys that do it year in and year out. Uh, but once you do get your hands on a Max Scherzer mid-career, like it's just as valuable as Mike Trout. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. Get forty ish dollars on an annual basis from these guys at their peaks, getting at least thirty most years before that. Uh, but they are the Trout equivalent, I think, among pitchers. Now, there's a couple other guys that have had either really long runs of success over the past decade or peaks that have pushed up their value. Chris Sale is the latter. I mean, his peak seasons, when he's healthy and everything's working, he's as good as any pitcher we've seen over the last 10 years. And I think the thing we're worried about with him right now is that he's had some arm trouble and the innings have gone down the last two seasons. But I think he definitely belongs probably as the third best pitcher on this uh, list as like a per start sort of ace, even if there's a couple guys that have piled up more value over the last seven years. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, in terms of the shape, again, of, of missing out on the early ones, probably the ones that are being hurt the most are Zach Greinke, uh, who had, uh, you know, a couple of good seasons with the, the Brewers there. We had a mid three ZRA uh, and would have added, uh, you know, you know, 16, 15 win type seasons that he would have added some value there, but not a ton. I mean, he would have been like, you know, an eight to ten dollar pitcher back then, uh, but also probably Justin Verlander, uh, you know, gets shortchanged a little bit because he was pitching uh, really well uh, early in the in the career, uh, early in the decade. I mean, he had in eleven and twelve, he had a season where he had about a two five ERA with like five hundred innings uh, and uh, forty one wins. <laughs> yeah. So I'm pretty comfortable moving Verlander up a little bit, and I think you know Verlander and Granke probably. Um, are my four five in this scenario. Verlander's 2010, 2011, and 2012 are three of the top 26 seasons from starting pitchers in terms of war over the last decade. Yeah. So uh, odd cutoff point because 26th is where that 2011 season is, but that's enough to put him in uh, one of those six spots. I don't think there's a, a whole lot of pushback on that. Uh, the other guy who was really good, actually a couple guys that were really good at the beginning of the decade, they just didn't really time it right. Cliff Lee, was really strong at the early part of the decade. I think he's got at least an honorable mention coming here. Like I don't know if he's necessarily on it. Uh, Grinky, I think, does get bumped in. And then peak Felix Hernandez, too. I mean, that would be part of the, the early part of the decade as well. It, it, it fell off much worse than I thought it would yeah. for him. Like, Didn't you kind of think when, when Felix was at his peak, even if he wasn't going to be that good deep into his 30s the way Verlander and Scherzer were didn't you kind of think he'd be one of those guys that was like a two two and a half win pitcher year in and year out until he turned like 40 years old yeah I thought he could manage like a four ERA you know for a while you know he's just so so wily and he's got that that great power change and he's got a wide arsenal um I guess I guess it's just mostly injury, but like you know Zach Greinke modeled his game after Felix Hernandez in a lot of ways you know, and Greinke's managed to, to keep it going longer. Maybe it's just a question of, you know, how great the command is. Maybe Greinke has super elite command and Felix just had okay command. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's another, there's an alternate universe where Felix Hernandez aged, ages like Zach Greinke. I mean, they have both have power changes. They both have a big loopy curveball. They both have pretty good command. They both throw any pitch, any count. You know, th- there's very similar arsenals. 
Um, so I think you have a good point there. Makes me sad that he's uh, not on this team, but I did want to mention him on this episode. I think picking the last guy, I mean, if you put Kershaw and Scherzer and Sale and Verlander and Grinky in those first five starting spots, the last one comes down to Jacob deGrom or Corey Kluber or David Price or Steven Strasburg or Madison Bumgarner or Garrett Cole. Like We're going to be leaving off some really good pitchers for one reason or another. Who do you kind of like best of those guys? Which group? It will count deGrom, Kluber, Strasburg, Bumgarner, and Cole as the the guys that are in contention for the last spot. Yeah, man. And it's so like, did they do it earlier, you know, or did they do it later? Uh, we're missing three vintage Bumgarner seasons in our sample where he had an ERA of three and threw 500-plus uh, innings and put together like 40 wins. Um, so in terms of just a raw numbers thing, Bumgarner probably should be adding, you know, another $50 of fantasy value and, and joining the top five um, if we want to be strict about it. But Garrett Cole, you know, may be one of these guys that's kind of like Cliff Lee, like does a lot of it, in one, you know, at the end of one uh, decade and the beginning of another and doesn't get on either list. I mean, it seems wrong to not put Garrett Cole in this in this group. Yeah, my gut wants to just take one of the relievers and punt them off the roster and put <laughs> Cole of them on all dude else. i mean yeah. it was the relievers is an amazing list where there's kenley jansen and aroldis chapman and then like a shrug face emoticon <laughs> you know i mean literally mark melanson ended up fifth on the sample i was kind of surprised craig kimbrell didn't pop up high on that list i know he was brutal in 2019 but i mean he was cranking out good ratios and tons of saves year over mm. year throughout the decade. Like I'm how is he not point. third in that group? How did he not end up in there? I think I think he I think he's in there. I think we gotta have him as our if it's Jansen Chapman and Kimbrell, I think as the clear cut three best relievers of the decade, with a guy like Josh Hader falling into the coal bucket where he's probably gonna split the peak over the end of this decade and the beginning of the next one and not make either list, even though if you were trying to build the ultimate fantasy team, he'd probably be on there because you trust him to get more innings than a guy like Kimbrell, who's been used like a traditional closer pretty much every day of his big league career. I think I think uh, I made a mistake. I, I just searched for Kimbrell on my my thing, and I don't. he's not in there. No. I don't know why. Maybe it has something to do with his injury status or something. He just didn't end up in my sample. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, Kimbrell... Uh, now that you say it, I mean, Kimbrell's better than Roberto Asuna, Andrew Miller, Mark Belanson. Josh Hader um, just hasn't done it for as many years. And I think that's the, the, the key thing with relievers is like, you know, who does it for so long? And even will Kenley Jansen do it again next year? Like he makes me nervous as all hell. His ADP and Kimbrell's ADP in the early NFBC drafts are pretty much the same. They're in the 130 range. And if I had to pick one, it's Jansen, but I don't want to have either of them if I can help it. Yeah. Uh, I I think with relievers, you got to play it the way the teams play it, which is you got to play, you got to pay for the underlying stats. You got to pay for velocity. You know, you really got to watch velocity and relievers because their production is tied to their velocity way tighter than it is for starters. And, you know, when you start seeing Kenley Jansen's velocity numbers 
I mean, you want to run the other way. And Craig Kimbrell last year lost two ticks off his fastball. Now, that one I think is a little bit different because what if he had a regular offseason? Yeah. A, a, a normal offseason to get right is totally yeah. possible. I don't know what his true talent velocity is right now. So, um, any case, uh, Kimbrell does, I think, belong on there. Kimbrell may not belong on your team next year. <laughs> it's, a, it's a harsh cliff sometimes, even for a guy like that who over 553 career innings now has a 208 ERA and a .95 whip. And obviously those numbers were better before 2019 happened. 14.6 Ks per nine. Just crazy. A 41.1% yeah. strikeout rate. Uh, that's uh, it's amazing over a full 10-year run. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a funny thing that emerges when you look at this year-to-year, too, is the, just that relievers don't give you that much value uh, in terms of overall fantasy value. Kirby Yates, uh, last year, Josh Hader was the number one reliever by value, and it was $16. Uh, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, what's a $16 hitter look like? Chris Bryant? Josh Donaldson last year, even Jose Ramirez was nearly $16. So, you know, I don't think, um, you know, I don't, I I think that you shouldn't necessarily spend a lot of money on it. Now, of course, buying Rolls Chapman for $20 is buying that floor and being like, I'm at least going to get $10 for this $20. But, um, you know, Kirby Yates, you can get $15 for $1 with Kirby Yates. I just think the relievers are the place to 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 go cheap and 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 go with quantity and and find your find the next Kirby Yates rather than pay twenty dollars for sixteen dollars from Josh Hader, or maybe take the discount on Edwin Diaz coming off of the troubling twenty nineteen. For sure, for sure. But yeah, the pitchers that just fell short. I mean, Strasburg not being on there, injuries. I think were a big part of it for him. Like he. Finished the the decade on a high note and was a huge part of the Nats winning the World Series this year. But I think he's just on the outside looking in. I think Corey Kluber probably had the best case of the starters that didn't get one of those nine spots. Like if you took a reliever off, maybe he's the first one in. And it's easy to forget just how good he was because injuries really caught up to him and, and shortened up his 2019 season. Yeah, and that's I mean that's the that's the thing with pitchers in general, man. It's just how difficult it is uh injury wise. I do think it's interesting that, you know, you look at the top starters last year in terms of war or fantasy value, and so many of them are old. And I just wonder if we haven't studied enough um the idea that like once you've proven that you're resistant to injury that you're resistant to injury. Like it's a kind of injury as a skill, you know, I, I, I don't know. I struggle with that because on the other side, like I know that, you know, pitchers are hurt all the time, you know, but maybe there's something about like, once you've proven that you're fairly injury free, you can be a starting pitcher into your mid thirties. It's just that there are so many that don't have that skill. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or just like the genetic benefit of yeah, that's UCL what I mean. yeah. or a, yeah. a shoulder that doesn't tear. It's amazing. I don't know. I'm just looking at this list of, of best seasons from the past decade. And it's mostly names you'd expect. Mostly guys we've talked about. Um, you know, the late Roy Halladay was was pitching at the end or beginning of this decade, rather. He's, of course, uh, high on the list. Second best season by a pitcher. 
uh, over the last uh, 10 years. 2011, he was outstanding. 8.7 wins above replacement. Jacob deGrom actually had the most valuable season from a pitcher in 2018. It was an amazing 2018 season. How the Mets only pushed him to 10 wins that year. Uh, we'll never know. I mean, I guess the trick that only the Mets can pull off, but uh, there's some funny seasons on here. 2015, Jake Arrieta. Like people kind of are forgetting how good he was in the middle of the decade because injuries are starting to catch up to him. 2013, Matt Harvey. Back when uh, you know Dark Knight Day was was oh, yeah. Harvey Harvey Day was a thing, and he was the Dark Knight. That was a lot of fun. Those days are are long gone. Uh, the, the late Jose Fernandez, uh, a guy you think about, you know, what could he have been? Uh, over the course of his career. How about 2014 Phil Hughes being on this list? Yes. Oh, my gosh. He actually uh, he actually inspired my piece for this this week, my written piece, in which I look at the decade's biggest one-hit wonders and, all, and envision an alternate future where instead of those being fluke years, those are breakout years. And so I looked at Phil Hughes... And got a projection for him coming off of that six-win season, that 2014. That's the six-war season. But uh, I think he won like 16 games, had a 350 ERA, best strikeout rate of his, his career as a starter. Um, and I kind of I said, what what happens if he if he if that was a breakout instead of a fluke? Um, you know, I think injuries there are huge because he lost two ticks off his fastball the next year. You know. And then he started complaining about shoulder, and then he got thoracic outlet surgery. So I do think that injury was a big part of it there. Um, and in fact, if you if that was if he had maintained that 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 talent level, um, the Twins' postseason history might be different. It could be. It could be very different. I mean, they they have needed a starter during this time. And if he truly was, you know, I think maybe with that strikeout rate, he probably wasn't an ace. Uh, but if he was, you know, throwing 93, striking out, you know, seven to eight batters per nine, not even walking one batter per nine, uh, I think he would have been useful to some of those uh, those teams that lost to to the Yankees over and over again. You got me thinking about one hit wonders on the music side from the past decade. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I just fired up a nice little Google search. Stereo Gum has uh, an article on this, of course, from uh, earlier yeah. this month. This is a trip down memory lane for the last 10 years. This is kind of like the how important we thought BABIP was, but applied <laughs> to music. Uh, perhaps you remember Cali Swag District, Teach Me How to Dougie being a big deal oh, back in uh, 2010. God. Dougie, dude. That was the first dab or whatever. <laughs> kind of was. Uh, Foster the Peoples on here for Pumped Up Kicks. I feel like they had enough of other, a career like yeah. that's, that's, that's that's not fair they haven't had a hit as big as that song but they're not one hit wonders where is they just bop this this decade or is that if i dated myself you have like dated yourself decade. that might have been two decades ago that might have been <laughs> late 90s ago. dude crap <laughs> <laughs> that's the ultimate one for me though oh that was that's that's the epitome of of in our yeah. lifetimes at least yeah that was the epitome yeah. of a one hit wonder <laughs> Uh, Gautier is somebody that I used to know. Man, you couldn't go anywhere in 2012 without hearing that terrible song. Oh, and my gosh. Gautier oh, has yeah. disappeared, thankfully. Um, how about Psy? Gangnam Style? Gone. That's long oh, gone. Yeah. Ooh, 2012 yeah. was a bad year for music. Uh, <sighs> what else we got? The Harlem Shake? That was uh, that took over in 2013. Did you ever get into a video with your friends or whoever just making a Harlem Shake video? Where you'd, no. be, like, you'd be in a place... And everyone would just be chill. 
and then you'd like freak out for a few minutes and then you'd cut it together so it just looked like you were people just sitting around and all of a sudden you were dancing around like crazy like teams were doing that there were major yeah. league teams that were having those videos and they would drive by on the bullpen cart and uh, you know mr met would be like drinking a 40 and and you know probably doing some kind of funny dance perhaps the dougie you know, from earlier in the decade I, yeah i think about this and it, it looks ridiculous looking back and it looks like a waste of time and you're like oh why would people like be on trend to this why would, why do we wear clothes like that why you know and it kind of seems like you kind of want to berate yourself but uh and i think about this beer like i like I like different beer than I used to like. And I guess I'm being trendy because I'm drinking a lot of hazy beers. But if you give me, you know, a really malty, really strong double IPA from that I used to like right now, I won't like it. It does. I, I, like my tastes have changed. And so I think it's okay. Like it's kind of like it was fun in the moment. You know what I mean? The Harlem Shake thing, it looks ridiculous now, but it was fun in the moment. I remember those videos. I thought those were funny. You know, and, you know, it, you can kind of build up a little bit of relationship with people you don't even know because you're all like into this one thing. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I don't know. People call craft beer itself trendy. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Does that mean it's not good? Like, does that mean that like these friendships, like these people I've met? through craft beer that both share my enthusiasm for this thing that has recently come about or recently become more prominent. Those are devalued some because it's because it's more recent or it's trendy or something. And I don't have to sit around just drinking Pilsners the rest of my life, you know? I, so um, once again, I come to the end of a rant and I have no idea uh, how to sum it up, but uh, you know, sometimes it's okay to kind of get into a trend. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I think you can look back at that stuff and laugh about it. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. If you were in a Harlem Shake video in, in 2013, like you should play that and laugh at it. I mean, I look back at pictures of me in high school with dyed blonde hair. Look ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. But why, why did I do it? That was the peak of Eminem, <laughs> Frosted of course. tips, baby. <laughs> and frosted tips were, were cool for a while. But yeah, man, like I, uh, I have regrets. We all do. But uh, some of this stuff is just, you know, just having fun, like just just trying something new and different, and sometimes it doesn't stick. Sometimes it does. I think craft beers hanging around, kind of like candy, right? If in the 1920s you had candy skeptics walking around saying this candy <laughs> trend is going to fade, <laughs> like if you'd be sitting there just eating your candy, like whatever, dude, I'm I'm going to enjoy these gummy bears. These are awesome. <laughs> these are pretty good. <laughs> oh, these Reese's peanut butter cups that are brand new, they're not going away. They're going to make chocolate and peanut butter together forever. <laughs> well we have to talk to the person who came up with peeps but yeah <laughs> otherwise i'm with you <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't know what they were thinking with that but uh, <laughs> you can't, can't win them all i love that howard bender has every uh every easter has a thing where he eats like 40 peeps <laughs> i'm a peep palooza i'm like i don't even want one <laughs> no <laughs> like, you're gonna eat 40 of those i don't even want one no, no. He every year like has a, a closer and closer a brush with death, eating all the peeps too. <laughs> yeah. so. I'm amazed that he keeps on doing it. Uh, At least it's not the the taco the Taco Bell taco challenge or whatever. I, we're, I'm, we're not even going to discuss that. I wonder. That I wonder horrible. what the calorie difference is actually. Um, uh, pretty comparable. Probably I the bet. Tacos. 
Well, you never know with sugar. The, the tacos should be more, but I mean, the sodium from the tacos is going to be just as <laughs> off the charts as the sugar and the peeps. Uh, no, both things not good for you. No, we they, we found an not. example of trends not worth not worth jumping on. <laughs> There's a small, small percentage of trends that should be ignored, and uh, Peepapalooza <laughs> is one, and the Taco Challenge is one. Tacos are great. Just don't eat 70 of them in one sitting. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Every July 4th, I just find that that uh, that hot dog eating, I think it's so disgusting. Like, it it turns my stomach. It's, it keeps it's getting worse. Thing. I don't oh. know how it gets worse, but they somehow get more flying. gross with it. One year, some guy vomited, and he had to eat his vomit, and they had to talk about how he had to eat what he vomited, or he wouldn't get credit for it. Yeah. Uh, see, I think that's when you just you just tap out. You say, you know what? Uh, I wanted to do this, but my body said I couldn't, so I'm not going to. But you just you walk away. Yeah. Where? How did we get here? I don't know how we got there, but if we missed anybody, if there's players that you feel like absolutely belong on the all-decade fantasy baseball team, you can reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. And uh, you can also tweet at us. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. Just a heads up, we've got lots of all-decade teams coming up on a bunch of our podcasts, our team-specific shows. Uh, I did the Brewers one with Aaron Gleeman, so that's going to be out as well. So keep an eye on the baseball team feeds as well. Uh, Lots of good stuff coming there. And, of course, uh, the winter meetings, hot stove season, all just around the corner. So lots of content coming your way here at The Athletic. Eno, have a great Thanksgiving. I hope uh, hope you enjoy a reasonable amount of turkey, and I mean a lot, but not just not. Don't eat like a whole turkey by yourself, you know, as part of yeah, especially since I have trends. to drive home. Jesus, all that tryptophan. <laughs> oh, full turkey. There's definitely going to be like three people asleep on the couch after dinner. We're eating at like two or three. So I I, I get the double header. I have the the turkey dinner at my family's house, and then I go to my in my in laws' house after that. You do so I have, two in one day. They're close enough where we can do two, and somehow by some some miracle, my family has always eaten early, and my wife's family always eats at like a traditional dinner time. So it works Whoa. out perfectly. Well, other than for your waistline. Well, yeah, other than for that, but uh, <laughs> a couple of days out of the year where I don't really worry at all. Good, about the that. good news is, and here's a hot take, a hot food take, it's not really a great food day. You're not, you're not actually a big fan of turkey? No, not really. I've, I've, I, I spatchcocked it recently, and I did some sous vide and you can get the texture right, um, but I prefer chicken and duck and other pieces of poultry even if they're you know all cooked correctly so you know the pies are good i'm having a big fight with everybody on twitter i put some fantasy football rankings up for thanksgiving day and i included side dish and pie rankings and i included some beer recommendations too but the surest way to piss everybody off is to rank their pie near the bottom of your list (laughs) yes people do get really angry about pie very defensive about pie. Uh, somebody called me out because I, I wrote next to the side dish rankings. I put stuffing or dressing. I don't care what you call it. Um, I, I put that first and I, I made a note. Please do not cook in carcass. Don't uh. cook things you're going to eat <laughs> inside the carcass of something else. That is not a good way to prepare food. I don't, I don't care if that's the tradition. It's wrong. Don't do it. And someone said, I can't take you seriously. You don't want me to make the stuffing inside the bird. It's like, well, no, I don't want it. I don't want the the death from the inside of the, of the bird. <laughs> There's a 
classic Simpsons line where Homer is at a fancy restaurant. He says, I'll take your most expensive item stuffed with your second most expensive item. <laughs> Lobsters stuffed with tacos. Check. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, if you well, can find it, though, sour cream pies, like uh, like they're kind of like oh. like fluffy. Like I would say, almost oh. like a custard consistency. I don't, I don't know how many places even make them, but there's this Norwegian restaurant, which I don't even know if other places in the country have Norwegian restaurants. There's one by me. They make pies. They have sour cream pies. Sour cream blackberry pie is the best pie I've ever had. Everyone's like, what the hell is that? I'm like, I'm just telling you what I like. I want it. I it's want amazing. It it's so good. It sounds weird, but it's that. really good. I got to find that. Yeah. like I mean, it's, it's worth, I would... I would say like a one-hour drive each way to pick one up if you can find some place that'll do it. What what pie faction was the most angry? The pumpkin pie people got really mad because I accidentally yeah. left pumpkin pie off the list, and I put it tenth out of thirteen ahead of only lemon meringue, peach, and strawberry rhubarb, which are all pretty lousy pies. I do not like uh, pumpkin that much, but my family they're they're, they're insatiable for it. My wife said it's like flan. I'm like, well, it's not flan. It tastes worse than it's flan. Pumpkin. Flan tastes good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I guess the texture, I get it, but I don't know. I'm like a pecan and apple are at the top of my list. Yeah, man. My top three, sour cream blackberry, if you could find it, pecan mm-hmm. and apple. Like it's, it's just, There you go. Like, like a non-psychotic person. A very reasonable person. <laughs> These are not. These are. There's nothing wrong with these rankings. Pumpkin pie is bad. Like that's, that's my hot take for this. Episode. Oh, you can put that on all of our gravestones, though. There's know. nothing wrong with these rankings. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note, it's time to, yeah. to go. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this episode. We're back on the regular schedule for next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening.